It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And welcome into the Virtual Bible Study. It's the Virtual Bible Study live on Thursday evening, April 29th, 2010. We appreciate you being on the other end of the line tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Dot com. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here tonight, but just barely. Yeah, I'm here. I'm ready to go. Let's go. We got a good topic tonight. Jacob. Yeah, but you're 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 sort of you've got a bug over a little there. a little puny, but uh, this this uh, Bible study will make me feel better. I'm sure. And uh, virus, this kind of virus cannot be transmitted over the internet, so you're safe on your yeah, end. Yeah. But I'm a little bit wondering about myself tonight. Yeah, don't breathe over this. Yeah, direction. don't talk this way. Okay. All right. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you on the program tonight as we want to talk. Well, it's been in the news lately. I want to talk about Noah's Ark. Yeah, we've, I'm sure probably almost everybody who listens to this will have um, heard in the news this week about a group of Chinese researchers or archaeologists of that sort who claim that they have found Noah's Ark in Mount Ararat. Mount Ararat is in eastern Turkey. They've been searching there. I mean, different. I mean, scores of groups have been searching there for many, many years. It is the mountain range identified. Uh, in the book of Genesis as where the ark came to rest. Let's look at that real quick. In Genesis uh, Genesis chapter 8, it says, verse 4, the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. And so there's been a concentrated search there, uh, and people are trying have, have tried for a long time to, to find the ark or find some remnant of the ark remaining there as an archaeological find that would verify the Bible story, that would serve as a sort of a, a, a faith builder for people if that could be found. And so since that's been quite a bit in the news, we thought we would talk about it on the virtual Bible study tonight. We want to talk about that archaeological thing first and the evidence question. Do we need that evidence? Will it help us? And then toward the end of the program, Jacob, we want to talk about some of the great moral lessons that we learned from the episode with Noah because they are powerful and many, uh, the moral lessons that are in that text. All right, but we've got a problem tonight uh, because you're under the weather, so we're going to need our listeners to join in extra hard tonight. So send us an email, send us a uh, message in the chat room, or give us a call at 877-381-4567 as we talk about Noah's Ark on the program tonight. What about the archaeological find? Do you think they really real, found it? Real quick, I'm going to read a, a comment from Anthony in the chat room where he says that he read that the translation of Ararat is really uncertain. Uh, he said that he's not sure about that, but he had read that somewhere. I think that is a question. Is what Genesis chapter 8 verse 4, is what the book of Genesis identifies as the mountains of Ararat, is it the same as Mount Ararat that we have on our maps today? Well, okay. I, I I don't. I think I'm. I'm with Anthony. I think maybe there's an assumption that it is, but I'm not sure that that's a, a proved thing. The, so that that would. I think that would be a logical first step somebody'd have to make is to confirm or try to verify that what the Bible refers to as Ararat is what we call Ararat today. All right. Or was it talking about just a range of mountains or a specific a peak? Another thing to factor in, and we'll get more into this as we go. Um, I think that the earth went through some tremendous geological upheaval and change in the time of the flood. In other words, I think what was before the flood, how the earth looked, its physical characteristics and appearance were way different before the flood than it is afterwards. And therefore, those mountains that that are called Ararat today were obviously changed in the time of the flood. Uh, but Moses wrote Moses wrote Genesis hundreds of years, uh, probably a couple of thousand years, maybe after, no, maybe on the order of uh, a thousand years after Noah had lived, and so he was he was talking about 
identifying geolo- uh, uh, geographical characteristics in his day. And so it may be. It may be the same. I just don't know. All right. Let us know your thoughts. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. There are two main questions with subsets underneath those you asked earlier. Yeah. Yeah, these questions are of your invention, Jacob. So here's what you suggested we talk about today. Number one, and this is along the lines of the evidences. Okay. If they actually did find the ark, let's say that it was confirmed beyond any shadow of doubt. I don't think that's even possible. Let's say it was. If they actually did find the ark, number one, would it change the way you view Scripture? Number two, do you think it would change the way an unbeliever views Scripture? And then finally, why do you think God didn't preserve things like the Ark, artifacts and so forth, the Ark of the Covenant, the original manuscripts of the Bible, Jesus' burial clothes, the cross, the Holy Grail, and so on? Is it just coincidence that they were lost, or did God purposefully keep those things from surviving through the centuries for a reason? I think that's a real interesting question we want to look at. So that's going to be a first part of our study about the evidence and the significance of finding Noah's Ark, if we could or did, the second question, does the story that what does the story of the flood teach us about God's power? Number two, God's view of sin. Number three, following God's pattern. Number four, faith itself. What does the story of the flood tell us about faith itself? I think those are all important questions that we want to look at before the program is overnight. So if you have not sent us an email or or if you have not uh, joined in the chat room, please do that. Give us a call. That's You know, Jacob, the phone is the fastest and surest way to get your comments on the program. It's a surefire way. We won't, we won't overlook your comments if they're on the phone. Yeah, And, we don't and even nobody have, else will either. I probably shouldn't say that. We don't even have someone screening calls tonight. We'll have to answer the phone on the air. So if you call, behave yourself because we're going to go right to you if All you right. call. Anthony's got a call. He's going to get in later on in the program tonight. So if you'd like to join in, we'd like to hear from you. There is a poll in uh, the video, if you're watching the video feed tonight, that there's a poll that I've put up there. I didn't tell you about it, Dad. But the question is, and uh, right now the responses are even, if they were to find Noah's Ark, if Noah's Ark was found, it would, A, cause unbelievers to believe, B, ca- not cause unbelievers to believe, or C, you're not sure. Okay, good, so good jo- poll. Jo- yeah. join in on that poll. Let us know your thoughts. What do you think? If they found the Ark... Would it cause unbelievers to believe? Would it not cause unbelievers to believe? Or do you believe it just you don't know? You're uh, sort of uh, you could go either way on it. Let us know your thoughts tonight. In the chat room, Sharon asked the questions. Were there asked the question about the mountains? Were there mountains before the flood? Um, well, let me spend just a minute explaining what I think uh, putting together the pieces of the puzzle about what happened in the time of Noah's flood. And you've got and you're you're going to make some assumptions right, here. Right, right, right. But uh, it's speculation and it's putting together some pieces to try and reach a conclusion. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't talk about mountains when the rain and the flood started in Genesis chapter 7 verse 19 it says the water prevailed exceedingly upon the earth and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail and the mountains were covered. So it calls them hills. It calls them mountains. That's a, that's a relative term, Jacob. You know, for those of us here in Tennessee, uh, we go to the Smokies and we see Clingman's Dome. that's about 6,600 feet tall. We say, that's a big mountain. You go out in Colorado, and they call that a hill. Right. Uh, so uh, that's, that's a relative term. I don't know how we would answer that. But I, what I think happened in the time of the flood, it says in Genesis, let's look at that, Genesis chapter 7. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Well, usually when we teach the story to the children about Noah, we talk about the 40 days and 40 nights of rain. That would produce a significant flood, obviously. But... Under normal conditions, even that would not produce a global flood that covered all the hills and mountains, and what's it say, 15 cubits upward, so that's 25 feet of water above the highest thing on earth. The whole surface of the earth was covered with water. Where did that water come from, and where did it go to, is a reasonable question to ask. Okay. Well, I think verse 11 there gives us some help in understanding that it talks about the fountains of the great deep being broken up. I think that would definitely... Talk about subterranean reservoirs of water that were exploded, that that gushed forth at the time of the flood. God caused that to happen. Uh, There was some kind of water, fountains of the great deep, 
that gushed forth water. If that was the case, if that suggests, you know, subterranean reservoirs of water that God expelled, and by the way, back in Genesis chapter 1, one of the things that God did when he created the earth is that he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Uh, uh, he said in verse 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And the firmament there we think is the atmosphere. So there was also some water above the atmosphere in a, at the time God created the earth. So what I think happened, I think before the flood, the earth was enveloped in a water vapor canopy. Uh, that would be suggested from chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 5, where it says, Every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up uh, a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. If that if we're reading that accurately, I think at least a strong suggestion is that this water cape, water vapor canopy, the water that was above the firmament, was like a greenhouse effect on Earth, and so the Earth was tropical in its climate all over, mm-hmm. from from North Pole to South Pole and everywhere in between. The Earth was in a, in a tropical climate because of this water vapor canopy. I think that probably is what Genesis eight is referring to when it says that the windows of heaven were open. God caused that water vapor canopy to collapse. There's a lot of water. The subterranean fountains of the deep opened and water gushed forth. There's where the water came from. Now, here's the follow-up question. Where did the water go to? If you had the whole earth covered at a minimum of 25 feet of water, there wouldn't be any place for it to run off to. Right. It's not going to go. It's not going to just go down into the oceans because the oceans are now up at that same 25 feet of water level that you've got basically a sphere of water. You know, we joke sometimes, Jacob, about civil engineers. Even civil engineers understand water has to run downhill. Yeah, we hope, there's the, <laughs> well, I mean, civil engineers listening. We do hope you're listening if you're civil engineering. It's just a We're joke. Jo- it's a joke. It's a right, joke. Right. But there wouldn't be any downhill to go to under those circumstances. And so... The, the mountains, the mountain ranges in, in this violent geological upheaval that this path, this verse is just suggesting it. It's not spelling it out, but it's hinting at it. I believe the mountain ranges were shoved up and the deep ocean basins collapsed and were carved out. What's, what is Mount Everest? Uh, it's like 27,000 feet tall. Right. Well, it couldn't have been that tall in the day of the flood. If you had that much water above Mount Everest, Really, you'd have a question, where would all the water go? And so I think this this is suggesting a, a violent period of probably great earthquakes, perhaps volcanic activity, uh, and it pushed up the land masses, the continents and the, and the mountain ranges and it and the and the ocean bases basins sunk down and the water ran off now but you have to some of that formation would have to occur after the waters were already after on the earth that's right after after the, the earth was covered, after the earth was covered. Okay, but I, I think probably during that whole period, it, there was a lot of stuff going on. The Bible doesn't spell it all out, but there had to have been a lot of stuff going on. I mean, just just the simple questions: where did the water come from, and where did it go, are significant issues. And I think that that scenario helps answer them. And but furthermore, it doesn't have to have a naturalistic explanation. Everything doesn't have to have a naturalistic explanation. That's right. God could have miraculously caused the water; He could have miraculously caused it to go away. Absolutely. Yeah, we're not we're not discounting that at all. But I think that there is. Some significance there to those statements in Genesis, and I think, you know, uh, when you tie together the pieces of the puzzle, it makes a pretty compelling argument. It's interesting. You see evidences that geolo- geologically, you see evidence uh, of uh, the fact that uh, that there has been an upheaval. Uh, that, and you also see it in the fossil record. You see fossil remains on top of a mountain where uh, you know you see our, uh, aquatic fossil remains on the top of a mountain. You see uh, in the polar regions, you have evidence of tropical life in the in the polar regions that has been trapped there. And so it does indicate that uh, things were very different at some point in time on this earth and uh, that those changes may have occurred at the time of the flood. And so we'd like to hear your thoughts. We are running the poll if you're watching our video feed tonight. Uh, the question is, if they found Noah's Ark, what would be the effect on the unbeliever? Uh, 50% say that it would not cause unbelievers to believe. 25% say that it would cause them to believe, and 25% say they're not sure. So weigh in on that tonight. Let us know your thoughts. 
And we'll take a break, and when we get back, we'll get into that discussion. What about this uh, find? Have they found Noah's Ark, and what effect would it have? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We continue right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in a study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, website, remember that you can hit control F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit control F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Are worship pleasing to God or pleasing to man? And instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the webpage can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. Use your Internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight, uh, the one-and-a-half host Virtual Bible Study, as we've got someone under the weather on the other side of the table. We're talking about Noah's Ark. And we're talking about weather, I guess, so it is good that you're under the weather tonight. Talking about It's not the good. It's not good, but it's, it's not good maybe all, appropriate. Huh? <laughs> okay. All right. The number to call is 877-381-4567. That's the number that Anthony in Columbia has called. Anthony, welcome to the program tonight. You got him up? I think we've got him up. Anthony, are you there? Let's see. I may have plugged him in the wrong one. Anthony, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, right, I great. can hear you. Let's see here. Um, I'm going to make, a, make an adjustment here. Go ahead, Dan. Anthony is a, a member here at College View and a regular participant uh, and uh, always keeps the chat room fired up. Anthony, thanks for calling in. You and I were talking about this uh, just recently, about this Noah's Ark discovery and some of the implications of it. And uh, I think you were wanting to share with us some some ideas that you had about um, the archaeological discovery. I think he wants to join in as we get into the questions, I think, as, okay. as we go on. Correct, correct right. Anthony? I mean, I think it's all pretty interesting. I, I did uh, I did do a little bit. I hadn't even heard that this so-called discovery had been made. I did some reading online, and I don't know. It sounds pretty fishy. Uh, there's a fair amount of doubt being thrown around about whether this is legitimate. But, um, you know, I, I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm highly suspicious, Anthony. The pictures that I saw showed them inside of what looked like a big wooden box. And the, and perfectly the, preserved. Yeah, the wood was just, I mean, it was it probably looked better than the wood on my deck. <laughs> yeah, and there, and, were, there were still hamburger wrappers in there from Noah and his family. Yeah, I mean, they'd had a barbecue in there yeah. last week. But, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, the, the pictures themselves diminished my enthusiasm for this report because I thought the pictures looked really fishy. Right, and, you know, I read apparently that one of the lead, I don't know if it was, he was the lead archaeologist or one of the archaeologists who has since sort of fallen out with this group and I think may even be suing them. He Apparently there was an email leaked from him that was claiming that, that some Turkish uh, pe- workers hauled wood up the mountain and planted it in this, 
in this spot and 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 talked about you know said it was a hoax and and that the people knew it was a hoax but whether that's you know he may have an axe to grind with them i don't know we'll just it'll it'll be found out well it's real hard to believe that that a wooden vessel could be preserved for that long because when we think about noah's ark we're we're talking from the chronology of the bible we're talking about something that happened approximately 4,000 years ago, thereabouts, in that time frame. And and the idea that something wooden in any climate could be preserved for that long. Now, it's, it's I think, relatively high up on Mount Ararat. Anthony, did you get that? I, I think that it's uh, maybe yeah. around 4,000 meters or 12,000 feet high. Right, I was going to say 12 or 14,000 feet, something like that. Not, ex- not incredibly high. That's not incredibly high, but it would stay frozen a lot of the year. That's a snow-capped mountain. It would stay frozen at least some parts of the year, which would slow decay. But we're talking about 4,000 years, man. That's a long time for wood to be preserved. All right. So it, it, and uh, the pictures, as we said, made it look like it was perfectly preserved. Yeah, it looked like it had been built four or five years ago. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, to me, it's doubtful. But let's talk about this question. Would it, let's say they found it. Let's say they verified that it was, in fact, Noah's Ark. Would it change the way you view Scripture? Jacob, how's our survey? Well, it's still staying the same percentages. So if you have not joined in on the survey, uh, follow your instructions on your screen if you're watching our video feed from Ustream.tv and uh, answer the poll question. If Noah's Ark was found, would it cause believers to believe, not cause believers to believe, or you're not sure uh, what the effect would be? We ask if they actually did find Noah's Ark, would it change the way you view Scripture? It's it's not going to change my view. I mean, I I believe the story of Noah's Ark. I believe it happened literally and exactly as as the book of Genesis records it. I believe there's every reason to believe it. You know, uh, I think a a good argument to make if someone asks you, and Anthony, this might this might uh, be a response that we could work in. If someone said, "Why do you believe that story of Noah and the Ark?" I think I could answer by saying, "Because Jesus did." In in Matthew chapter twenty four, he used the story of Noah as an example of getting ready for God's judgment. And so, you know, Jesus serves as a verifier of the story of Noah. Therefore, all the evidence that supports the claim of Jesus that he is the son of god that he is the you know that that he is the messiah the the, the sinless uh, anointed one every argument that we offer to prove the identity of Jesus then would become an argument to prove the reality of Noah's flood absolutely we've got some responses don in nashville says uh, simply no it wouldn't change his view of scripture mike in orleans indiana says first let me begin by cautioning us all truthfully we can never say with 100% certainty that it was noah's ark Unless they found a sign on the ark with his name on it. Uh, how, how, well, they could fake that, too. <laughs> I guess they could. I don't know how they'd write that. But uh, how could it be proven one way or the other? But he says if they actually found the ark, in short, no, it wouldn't change his view of Scripture. Our faith, if it is pros- proper, is supported by the evidence of science, archaeology, etc., but is not dependent upon such evidence. Right. And now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. When Thomas doubted that Jesus was risen from the dead and later believed when Jesus appeared before him, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me and you have believed, uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, John 20, verse 29. The unbeliever should not need to see a miracle or evidence of such of one, such as the ark. For Romans tells us, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Whether an ark is found or not is interesting, but unnecessary in order to believe. There are far too many other supporting evidences to believe that the Bible is not true. Uh, we got. I think you're right. I agree with your with your analysis there, Michael. Thank you very much. And that's sort of similar to what Keith in uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee, has written in. He says. Uh, uh, so I find it a fascinating discussion. They certainly are in the correct area to look. But I find it difficult to believe that it would not have disintegrated by now. I find it interesting that the archaeologists are saying it carbon dated about 4,500 years, and that would put it somewhere along the correct time frame, perhaps. It uh, it is hard to say. I really thought that the flood of Noah would have gone back perhaps 6,000 years or more, but it doesn't really impact our faith, does it? We we don't believe it because they find it, but because God says it. 
and because of the evidence he left us that it happened. But even if it did prove to be true, what would they make? What would they make of it? If it is a boat of any kind, how did it get in that mountain? Or the question? No, I think Keith, I think that the forty five hundred years, four thousand to forty five hundred year time frame for Noah, I think is correct. Okay. Uh, but he says he's having a hard time believing that it could be preserved that long as well. I, I got to tell you, I don't think it. I don't think it is Noah's Ark. But it wouldn't impact my faith one way or the other. I, I believe for a lot of reasons, and none of them to this point have had to depend at all upon the physical discovery of Noah's Ark. All right. I believe anyway. If they found it, it wouldn't change. I still believe. Anthony, change anything of your view of Scripture if they find it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think we'd have to, if we're, you know, Christians, Christians, if it does somehow change our faith or increase our faith, that that would maybe point to a, a, you know an improper level of faith it has already been pointed out i think we need to we should have faith enough to believe the word and believe the story without having to have physical proof of it but at the same time it sure would be interesting um you know it, it would be interesting but beyond that it's not necessary and yeah i'm not going to hang with bated breath and just you know and have my faith either Confirmed or destroyed based upon how this turns out. Right, exactly. All right, Chuck. The next question we well, ask. Hang on just a minute. Let me ask. Let me let me get this from John uh, in Edmond, Oklahoma. Jacob got an email. Okay. He says, finding the ark would neither strengthen nor diminish my faith. Faith is based upon hearing the word of God. Would it help the non-believer to believe? Possibly. It all suspend. It all spins. Excuse me. It all depends on the person. If they begin with a disbelief in the Bible, then finding the ark probably will not help. Uh, so he, he's saying he, he doesn't think it would be a significant influencer one way or the other. Okay, and we have asked the poll. If you uh, have not answered the poll on the video feed tonight, uh, what do you think? If Noah's Ark was found, would it cause unbelievers to believe, not cause unbelievers to believe, and where you're not sure? No more votes have come in on that, so if you haven't uh, joined in, let us know your thoughts. Anthony, do you think if they found the Ark that it would change the way an unbeliever views scriptures? Um, maybe a few, uh, but the truth, the truth is I, I don't think so. I think people who don't believe um, probably, you know, have – they're not going to believe one way or the other. And, uh, you know, people didn't believe Jesus that's, you know, when yeah. he was here. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too, yeah, you know, that there was powerful proof offered from Jesus uh, concerning his ide- identity. And the people who saw it directly and firsthand – rejected it so you know the, some people are not going to believe no matter what kind of evidence is presented to them you know, I think I, i'm tempted to say that i don't think it would cause anyone to believe that wouldn't have believed anyways yeah you know that that's a good point i uh, think people are gonna you know unfortunately so many in the world they've just made their mind up and, and there's nothing you can do to change it you remember the story of, of the rich man and lazarus in luke 16 where lazarus wanted uh <laughs> someone to go back from the dead and the response that Abraham said, uh, he said in verse 31 of Luke 16, and Abraham said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so we have the evidence. We have what we need in order to have faith. And if you're not going to accept that, this other stuff really isn't going to do anything. I think that's right. I, 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 I agree with Anthony that the example of Jesus kind of gives us a strong indication of how they would react uh, if, if it was found, um, again, I'm real dubious about whether it is or not. I mean, I, it sure caught my attention when I saw the news headline pop up. But uh, as far as having our faith dependent upon it, I just I just can't imagine that it's going to have much significance one way or the other. I, what I fear is that if it's found out to be a fake and a fraud, that'll do more harm than finding it could do good, because. You know, if if it's found out, Anthony, I didn't read that that you were suggesting about maybe somebody saying they saw him carrying wood up there to build the crazy thing. Uh, if that's found out to be true, then that'll give great occasion for unbelievers to say, there you go. That's those crazy Christian people. They're just nuts. They'll, they'll do any kind of stupid thing to try and get people to believe. Yeah, exactly right. I think that's right. All right, Michael in Orleans, Indiana says to the question, do you think it would change the way an unbeliever views Scripture? He says it would depend on what unbeliever we are talking about. For some who are not believers but are searching for the truth, it would be compelling and interesting evidence. Others, like the Pharisees and scribes, refuse to believe even though the Scripture spoke of Christ and undeniable miracles were performed in their very midst. So maybe Mike's a little bit closer. 
you know, yeah. someone's looking for uh, the truth and is honest and sincere, perhaps it would be evidence. We've got evidence that we believe uh, leads credence to our faith. So perhaps um, Don in Nashville says all this can do is provide a little more support in the historical accuracies of the Bible. But I really don't think it would cause someone to become a true believer if it wouldn't do any good to send Lazarus to the rich man's family to tell them about the torments of hell. I really don't think the discovery of Noah's Ark or any other artifacts could persuade anyone. Belief comes from God, not from analyzing things or needing proof in order to make an informed or educated decision. I might disagree with yeah, uh, Don yeah. a little bit on that. Uh, to make a decision, one has to consider all sides of an issue, and what they come up with is just a think-so or opinion, not a true belief. Yeah, I don't agree with that expression in the middle of Don's statement where he says faith comes from or belief comes from God. Faith comes by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, Romans ten seventeen, And as we use that word and we compare its teachings to things that we know to be true, archaeologically, ge- uh, geographically, historically, then that that does serve as a as a faith builder. But I, the, I, I, I don't know what Don believes about that. No. But, uh, but if he's saying that, that faith is a direct action of God's Holy Spirit upon the believer, I don't agree with that. I think Don does believe that. Don believes in the doctrine of predestination. And so uh, Don would believe then that God decides who he wants to have faith, and he would give them that faith, and uh, that it would be totally uh, on God's end of the deal. And, but uh, we, don't, uh, we don't agree with that. We've talked about we've that talked some about that. in past uh, shows. We'll probably talk about it in the future. Let's take a break. Anthony, can you stay on the line? I'll stay here. All right. We'll take a break at this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll talk about uh, why didn't God preserve some of these artifacts? Why don't we have Noah's I think, Ark? I think that's really a great question, and I'm interested in the input of our listeners in the chat room by email to give us a phone call. Uh, well, we got the phone line tied that's up right, right now. That's all right. We can get another one. We'll clear the line. That's right. Go uh, ahead and get, go ahead and call. We'll clear the line, um, and we'll keep Anthony on the, on the other line uh, to talk about this. But uh, Anthony, you got thoughts on this, I think. Right. That, I, I'll jump off after I chime in on that. I, I agree with Greg. It's a really interesting question, uh, and I have a couple thoughts on that. All right. We'll take that up at the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. He was particularly good to me at a time when I really needed a helping hand. His kind deed at a critical time meant so much to me that I'll never be able to forget it. He stepped up. He served at a level that was above and beyond what would normally be expected. Sometime later, there was an incident that really shook me up. Something was said that had the potential to be really hurtful. Something happened that could have easily led to a harsh feeling and a long period of alienation between him and me. But because of his kindness in the past, and because of the good feelings I had toward him, I didn't just fly off the handle. Instead, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I didn't assume the worst and then react accordingly. I felt that I knew him better than to ascribe to him the hard feelings that I might otherwise have had. Even though what he said and did could have been taken the wrong way, I never once started down that road. I spoke to him. We quickly resolved the issue. We continue in a peaceful and brotherly relationship with one another, and that is due primarily to the fact that he had been kind to me in the past, and we had developed a good feeling for one another long before the stressful crisis arose. The story I've just outlined is true. In fact, it's happened a number of times in my life with a number of different individuals. What I'm pointing out here is this. There's a great need to develop a strong, loving, helpful relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we do, we make an investment of kindness that will pay its dividends in the moment of crisis. With this sort of savings account of goodwill in place, we will have the mutual motivation to work out our problems. Without it, though, we risk the possibility of horrible, sinful division. And so the question is this. Have you made an investment of kindness with others in the local congregation? You may need it in times to come. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Rick Harris, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. I hope you'll join me and many others in this weekly Internet Bible study group. Be sure to listen every Thursday night. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back, and we're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. We appreciate you joining us. We've got Anthony on the line, and we have a line open for you at 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. We'd like to talk to you, and perhaps you'd like to talk to Anthony. He's a regular in the chat room. He's under the name Anthony P. Tennessee tonight, and he's also been known in the chat room before in times past as Bismarck. So if you'd like to talk to Anthony in person rather than in the chat room tonight, you can join in on the phone at 877-381-4567. We are monitoring the chat room. 
And we are monitoring our email if you'd rather Thank you. we gotta in. we gotta get to this question that you asked. Why do you think God didn't preserve artifacts like the Ark? And then you've mentioned some others. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the original manuscripts of the Bible, Jesus' burial clothes. Now the Catholics think they found they that. They think they have I think they're That's totally probably, wrong about that. As much validity the, as this ark probably. The Shroud of Turin, you know, is what they claim is the burial clothes of Jesus. Right. I don't believe it. It's not factually the, the correct. Cross, the 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 Catholics also believe they have splinters of the cross and preserved in several different cathedrals okay. around the world, and the Holy Grail. And I don't know if everybody understands the expression Holy Grail. The Holy Grail is supposedly, now I don't believe they think they've ever found that, but that's the, the cup or chalice that Jesus used and or the plate that Jesus used when he instituted the Lord's Supper. That's the Holy Grail. I don't think anybody's ever claimed they found that. Now, why why weren't those things preserved? Because at the time, even at the time when they were uh, used, they would have had significance to people then. Well, the Ark of the Covenant was a was a treasured sure. possession of the Israelites, and when they lost it, sometimes in battle, they worked hard to get it back. And the Bible is completely silent on whatever happened to the Ark of the Covenant; it just disappeared. Yeah. Uh, why wasn't it preserved? You know, of course, you remember a number of years ago, all those movies, you know, surrounding the discovery the Raiders of the Lost Ark was the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Supposedly found the Ark of the Covenant. Why don't we have those things? Why weren't they preserved? Anthony, what you thinking? Oh, hold on, Anthony. There you go. Now, no, Anthony, we got your back. Okay, I good. don't. I don't think you guys really want me to talk <laughs> yeah. tonight. We try to keep you muted. It's Anthony. real easy not to listen to you there. So your wife, <laughs> your, your, your wife might want one of these buttons that I've got. It just mutes you totally out. <laughs> uh, no, it's scary. But, <laughs> but you know, I think it's interesting. You point, you think about it. All those artifacts that you mentioned, and then, I mean, it seems like there's almost been a concerted effort by God to make sure those things do not survive. I mean, um, when you think about uh, you know the the temple's gone. The uh, you know all of the physical things that might that we might latch onto really are gone, and I, th- I think that's definitely significant. And um, and uh, what what this reminded me of is um, Matthew 13, where you, we have the parable of the sower. After Jesus uh, tells that. Uh, parable that it says in verse 10 of Matthew 13, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And you could almost replace that question with, Why did God not uh, preserve these artifacts? And, and use the same answer that Jesus gives. He says, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Um, he sort of, in other words, he's saying, You know, you have a humble heart. Um, and you're, you have a simple mind and you're, you're seeking the truth, you can know the truth. Um, and the, in other words, the people who want to know the truth and have faith can have it, and they don't need these artifacts. Um, right, right. I don't know if you guys can yeah, send yeah, another I think, way. But. I think you're exactly right, because my, my faith is not going to be changed. I think there's enough evidence without the physical presence of those artifacts in order to convince me. I think there's. A, I, I do think that we are... In search of evidence, I think we want to be convinced that what the Bible says is true. But I believe there is so much compelling evidence that we're not depending upon those physical things in order to prove our faith. I agree. I agree with what you've said. John chapter 20, verse 30, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. There are other things that we could have had to believe. Certainly, there are numerous miracles that we could have had recorded, but we've got everything that we need in the scriptures, and if if that doesn't cause belief, then these other things won't either. Okay, let me read an email from uh, Mike in Indiana. He says, likely humans would worship them or treat them like religious idols. Look at almost any other artifact, the Shroud of Turin, which is supposedly the burial cloth claimed to have the face of Jesus on it, or the Sudarium of Ovietum, Oviedo, is a blood-stained cloth, for example, that Jesus' head was supposedly wrapped in. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. Various fragments of the cross of Christ are claimed to have been found among other artifacts. In most cases, people worship and revere these items when it should be the Lord who is the object of such adoration. I think he's right. And I've got a Bible tie-in here, guys, that I think works pretty good. In 2 Kings chapter 18, in the days of Hezekiah, Hezekiah was a good king, and he instituted a number of important reforms uh, in his time. And in 2 Kings 18 verse 4... It says he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Now, 
what what uh, is being revealed there is Hezekiah is destroying the idol worship from among the Israelites. That was a per- perennial problem with the Israelites. They'd fall off into worshiping the idols of various peoples around them, false gods. And they had taken the brazen serpent that Moses made. Now, you got to go back to Numbers 21. In Numbers 21, uh, as the children of Israel were marching toward the promised land, they were weary, they were tired, uh, they were going. They were having to circumvent the land of the Edomites because the Edomites wouldn't let them pass through, and they began to complain to about Moses. Uh, it says in Numbers twenty-one verse five, the people spake against Moses and against against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Talking about the manna that God was giving them from heaven, and the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people died, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. In fact, that's kind of interesting. Anthony, I know you're aware that 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 brass serpent on a pole is the symbol for medical doctors to this day. Oh, right. And yet, and there was an artifact that was preserved until the days of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah destroyed it because they had begun to worship it. Now, what if we had these other things, these other artifacts? What if we had the Ark of the Covenant? Don't you know people would be worshiping that thing? Or the original manuscripts of the Bible. You know, we'd enshrine them somehow or another. The burial clothes, the cross, the Holy Grail, and all the rest. People have that tendency. And uh, that's uh, that's what Mike was saying in his email. Uh, Don says if there is proof that any of these things are really lost or actually lost, then it would be proof that they actually did exist. Who knows? I thought about that. (laughs) He said, you know, is, is there proof that they're actually lost? He said, who knows, maybe God did preserve some of these and many other artifacts yet to be discovered. Possible. Well, it could it's be. possible, they but our be. faith is not dependent on it. And, and, and uh, I think I'm, the Bible doesn't say in so many words, but that example from the days of Hezekiah proves that people would be inclined to worship religious relics. And i got to think that that would be a strong reason why God chose not to preserve them. If they find this ark, you can be guaranteed that people will be making pilgrimages there. They'll be... Uh, there'll be this mystic thing about it, and uh, certainly not. Hey, hey, Anthony, I'm wondering. There's a lot of money to be made on this deal. And, oh, absolutely. And I'm just wondering if that plays into this. You know, there there have been scores of archaeological teams that have gone up on Mount Ararat and tried to find that ark. And if they could find it, or if they could fake that they found it, they're going to get tons of money thrown in their direction. And you've got to wonder if that is not a corrupting influence in this whole matter. All right. Kevin in the chat room tonight says, we can see evidence of paganism today on articles that people give some religious value, even those that call themselves Christian. We can't. And uh, so there's a danger. If you know, We don't know why they don't exist. We don't know why God didn't choose to preserve them. But certainly we've noted there is a risk. If uh, those things are around, that people will begin to worship. John in Oklahoma says, why did God not preserve such artifacts? We cannot know for certain, but I would suggest that man would turn such artifacts into objects of worship, ignoring the word of God. Many have already done this with supposed artifacts. I think he's right. Thanks, John. Uh, All right. We'll take one break, and then we'll go to the top of the hour on the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about Noah's Ark and the flood. What do you think? We're going to get now into the more important uh, discussion, which we've left only 15 minutes for, but this is important. What does the ark teach us? What are the moral lessons from Noah's what, ark? What, what lessons can we take away from Noah's ark that will help to encourage our faith? 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Join in now. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, my name is Mike Smith, and I'm a member of the College of Church of Christ on Hampshire Pike. Let me ask you some questions. Do you remember when churches insisted on Bible authority for everything they did? Can you recall when church members always expected they thus saith the Lord? Can you remember when the church was well known for its book, chapter, and verse style of teaching and preaching? Are you upset because the church you're attending doesn't always, doesn't always approach things this way anymore? Does it concern you that elders and preachers don't seem to care about Bible authority at all? We're still striving to do everything according to the New Testament pattern. If you're looking for a church like the one you remember from the past, please visit us soon at the College of Church of Christ this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. And welcome back to the virtual Bible study tonight as we talk about uh, the flood and Noah's Ark. What uh, are some lessons that we can learn? Quickly, Anthony in Columbia is on the line. He has a few thoughts about what we just discussed. Oh, hold on. He's got you muted again, Anthony. That pesky mute button. Are you there, Anthony? No, oh, no, no, no. What are we doing? I have no idea. Let's see here. Sounds like he's on speakerphone. Anthony, you there? Yep. There he goes. There oh, he there he is. Okay. All right. Oh, man, man, I'm telling you, three yeah. times. We're going to give you a complex, Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> well, real quick, I don't want to take a much more we, time. We are that. glad that you called, Anthony. Uh, really, oh. believe us on that. Uh, okay. I'll we take we don't have any proof. I guess you just have to believe it. <laughs> well, and that's kind of what I was going to say. Just real quick, uh, I know we want to move on, but, you know, I think part of the reason why those artifacts aren't preserved is the same reason as I was trying to say about Matthew chapter 13, the same reason Jesus taught in parables. If you read that explanation there, I think that, to me, sheds a lot of light on it. But when you think about, too, back to the Beatitudes, you know, uh, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Those who are truly seeking God, who aren't looking for a, you know, who have faith and who aren't looking for a physical sign from God, I believe, are the ones that God is looking for. Yeah, and and again, I think one of our emailers suggested in in the book of John when uh, Jesus appeared to Thomas, he said, uh, you know, because you've seen me, you believe. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. Verse twenty nine. Actually, our faith, Thomas's faith, was real and genuine. He saw it firsthand. That, in a sense, it would be easier to believe with first-hand evidence. We've got to construct a logical, reasonable case for believing in Jesus. So it takes a little bit more work. And I think Jesus even suggested there, it'll, those who believe without physically seeing are going to be blessed in particular. Right. So uh, maybe, you know, I don't know if any of those artifacts would probably never be found. Uh, I think that's that's probably God's intent. Well, I know you were doing we'll some see. digging in your backyard recently, Anthony. I don't know if you were trying to come up with something there or not. <laughs> Maybe so, you know, <laughs> finding that holy grail. There you go. All, All right. right. Well, I'll let you guys go. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Thank Anthony. you for joining in, Anthony. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. 877-381-4567. We do appreciate Anthony's uh, participation tonight on the phone and always his participation in the chat room and over email. We look forward to hearing from you on the phone or over email tonight. Plenty of time to take your comments. The lessons we learn. From Noah and uh, the flood. Well, the first question that you asked, Jacob, was the question about God's power. Yeah. Well, obviously, this indicates God's unlimited power. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you could send a flood of that magnitude, if you could cause the whole earth to be covered with water and then cause it to all go away, again, whether we whether we take the position that, it, that you can explain it with physical phenomenon or well, even with, even the explanation that says there was physical phenomenon taking place, it, it still is God's miraculous power that caused those physical phenomenon to happen. Uh, but either way, I mean, we got a powerful God. You know, we, t- we we see a tornado or we see a powerful thunderstorm that comes through, and we're talking about something that affects just a small area of of America or where we live. Uh, we're talking about the whole world here. That uh, he, he can uh, in, in, envelop the world in water is amazing. Yeah. I remember a story years ago. A guy, the story was of someone who went to heaven, and they were, and people in heaven were telling their stories of things that they had witnessed in life. And he was asked what he wanted to tell about. And he he he'd been in Johnstown, Pennsylvania during the Great Flood there a century ago, and he said he wanted to tell about the flood in Johnstown, uh, Pennsylvania. And they said, well, that's fine, but remember, Noah will be in the audience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's amazing. Amazing. All right, so we learned some incredible things about God. We need to be reminded of that. We need to spend some time thinking about that and remind ourselves of the God that we're serving. All right, uh, we got an email. Mike's email said, well, he didn't get to comment on that. He no, said he ran out of time we on are, that. Uh, we're, we don't have, oh, we've got Don's. Yep. Don says, if we really believe God is the creator, then we already know about his power. I believe the story of Noah's Ark is more about the sinful nature of man and God's wrath rather than God's power. It's not a big thing for the creator of the world to flood the earth. Yeah, point. I think he's right. I mean, if you could, if God could make everything by speaking it into existence, then it wouldn't be a tremendous fate for him to send water to cover it all. Okay. So I think Don's right on that exactly. Okay, but it does. Even even at that though, it does still show his power. Right. And we need to be reminded of that. <coughs> all right. Number the, the next question. The next question was, what does the, the story of the flood teach us about God's view of sin? 
Well, I think I think it's pretty clear that we would have to say that God hates sin, that that he, uh, you know, despises sinful activity. And in conjunction with that, Jacob, he punishes those who sin. He's not tolerant. <coughs> He's not We're tolerant taught that we need to be tolerant. God's not a tolerant God. He, now, he, he's long-suffering. There, that's the thing. He's long-suffering. He gives people a chance to repent, but he is not tolerant of sin. He cannot fellowship sin. All right. In chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 5, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Right. So, so it's, it's not a tolerant view. Now, I think we want to emphasize that God certainly wants people to be saved and he's long-suffering, gives a chance to repentance. Uh, in First and Second Peter, uh, and there, there's some reference to Noah, First Peter chapter 1 uh, no, excuse me, First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So God waited, it says. In fact, I think over in Genesis chapter 6, where we read about the flood, there's a hint that maybe there was a 120-year delay from the time God said, I'm going to send the flood until he actually sent it. I'll leave that for our listeners to consider uh, Genesis 6, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. I think that's suggesting that there was a delay in his plan. I'm going to send the flood. I'm going to give him 120 years. And, and that would tie in with what Peter says. There, God waited. Now, during that wait, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was preaching God's righteousness while he was building the flood. That had to be along the lines of hoping that people would repent. All right. So God it cannot tolerate sin. God is angry with, uh, with those who are sinning. Uh, God punishes sin. He cannot overlook it. He's going to punish sin. We see all that from the story of the flood. We've learned about his long-suffering nature because even though he was upset about the sin, he was long-suffering, hoping that people would repent and turn we learn all this about God's nature and about his view of sin from the flood. Yeah, and also still in Second Peter, in, in chapter 3, verse 4, uh, Peter says, There are some saying, Where is the promise that is coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter says, be careful. If you're assuming that God won't send punishment, you ought to pay attention to the flood and remember what he did then and know that he will send a punishment against wickedness in the future. He says in verse 10 of Second Peter 3, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the element shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It shows us the extent. I mean, sin is a serious thing, so serious God was willing to destroy the entire earth because of it. It's not a light thing with God. It's a light thing to many people today, but it's not a light thing with God. Exactly right. And uh, furthermore, one thing we might add about this, if this is God's view of sin, we are claiming to be Christians. We are claiming to be uh, people who want to be godly, we want to be like God. We have to view sin the same way. And as God sees sin on the earth, it repented the Lord that he made, made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Does it grieve us at our heart when we see sin in our lives, when we see sin in the lives of the others, we see sin in the world? Does it grieve us at our heart? I'm afraid so often it doesn't. In fact, we enjoy the sin, and we get pleasure from even viewing those who be engaged in sin as well. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Um, Don says uh, in his email, the, oh, oh, let's go to the pattern question, Jake. Let's talk about the pattern. What does it tell you about the pattern, or the importance of following God's pattern? Don says the pattern that should put some fear in people is stated in Matthew twenty four thirty six through 39. The days of Noah are not here again. Man has shown his pattern, and now it's time for God to show his. I think Don is talking about the pattern of God sending punishment upon wickedness, which pattern is clearly shown. But you were talking more along the idea of making it the ark like God said to make it. That's what, that was my indication, and uh, uh, in, in Don's building on the fact that you know we see that, that we're going to see a, a parallel that 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 was a, a type of the punishment that is coming at the end of the world. 
But I was more focused on the fact that God had given Noah specific commands and expected Noah to follow those commands. And in verse 22 of chapter 6, we read that thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Yeah. God gives us instructions, and he expects us to follow them as he's given them. Yeah, the story of Noah's Ark is so powerful there. You know, and, and I've used it, Jacob, when I had an opportunity to talk with people uh, in Bible study. And you can almost get everybody to agree. You know, for instance, it was specified that Noah used gopher wood right. for the ark. We're not sure what gopher wood was. A lot of people guess one kind or another. Noah knew what it was. He knew what it was. Could he have substituted a different kind of wood? And almost, in fact, I don't think I've ever talked with someone who said, oh, yeah, he could have substituted, no problem. I've never talked with him. Now, somebody might believe that, but I think it's rare. Most people would agree almost instantly Noah had to do it just like God said, build it to the same dimensions, build it with the same features, build it with the same material. Noah had to do it just like God said. Now, those same people don't think that it's important for us to follow the pattern that God has revealed for our work and worship in the New Testament. And that just doesn't even make sense. Right. If, if, if Noah needed to follow the instructions that God had given him, put it in, uh, build it out of gopher wood, that, that didn't give Noah the liberty to trim out the window in oak, didn't give him the liberty to inlay the floor in pine. No, he was to build it out of gopher wood, not add other woods to that. Why then can we add or change or modify the instructions that God has given us today? Exactly right. Um, so, you know, I, I think that um, when I was trying to find a verse in Hebrews, I'm not finding it off the top of my head. Uh, anyway, Moses was told, be sure and build things according to the pattern revealed in the mount right. when, he was, exactly. when he was to build the, exactly. the tabernacle. But, you know, God is a God of patterns, and he expects us to follow. You know, pattern. people are picking. I heard a, a point about this made in a sermon recently. People are, are, are critical when you say that we've got to follow the pattern, they say, what does the pattern really care matter? You know, God just wants me to be a good moral person. He doesn't care about me following the pattern that he's given me in, in my life. The point was made in this sermon. It does matter because when we look into the scriptures and when we see people who don't follow God's pattern, they don't live moral lives. For instance, what about uh, uh, the, the nation of Israel? When uh, the, the kingdom of Israel divided, the ten northern tribes, did they follow God's pattern and how they God wanted them to worship him? They didn't follow the pattern. They didn't follow the pattern. And, and people would say, oh, that's just picky. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. Why does it matter? As long as my heart is right, as long as I worship God, God will be happy with it. It doesn't matter that I worship him exactly like I should. What happened to the nation of Israel? Their morality declined. Exactly. And we see that in, in the lives of people today. Look at denominations. Denominations have... Forbid, uh, have, have waved off the necessity to follow God's pattern. They worship God any way they want. And now what are denominations doing? They're accepting homosexuality. That's right. There you go. Good example. All right. 877. Well, we're out of time. Uh, we got one more question. We had one more question. What does it say about faith? And I think we need one verse, Jacob, to tie that up. Is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah had faith, but his faith had to be linked together with his obedience. Okay. Faith and obedience. Noah is a classic example of that, and that's what we got to have. We got to believe. We got to have faith. Our faith has to be the type of faith that leads us to obey. Hebrews 11 just repeats numerous examples from the Old Testament of people with faith who had to do their obedient works. And furthermore, Noah's faith was not based upon sight, and our faith can must not be based upon sight either. A lot of people will believe, a lot of people will obey if it makes sense to them, if they can understand why God wants me to do that. In verse 7 of Noah of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. What that was, we don't know for sure. Well, he certainly had never seen a flood. That's right. Nobody ever had seen a flood of that magnitude right. before or since. Right. So it could be that. Or it might be, as we were suggesting at the start, he might not have ever even seen it rain before. But whatever it was, yeah. it, didn't, it didn't make sense to Noah. In fact, God had given him an enormous task, uh, uh, really a, a task uh, that perhaps took 120 years. And uh, Well, it did take 120 years, yeah. but uh, we, uh, I, I believe, uh, but uh, Noah was able to do that because he had faith didn't make sense to him, and we're going to have to have the same kind of faith. Yeah, that verse I was looking for earlier, Jacob, about build things according to the pattern. Moses was told that, Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 5. All right. Uh, some comments that we missed in the chat room. Kevin has found the poll now, and he has voted that he does not think it would cause unbelievers to believe if they found the ark. 
but uh, is something interesting for us to consider. Appreciate everyone who was listening tonight. We appreciate the comments in the chat room tonight. Sorry we didn't get to more of them, but it's simply not enough time. Dad, thank you for uh, your comments tonight. And Thanks. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good study. Uh, it's a really important study. Uh, and I fear sometimes that we relegate the story of Noah and the ark and the flood to children's studies. Okay. We always study that with the kids, of course. But, man, there's powerful lessons for us as adults as well. Okay. We appreciate everyone for being out there. We hope that you benefited from our study tonight. We look forward to you being back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.